Welcome back to the Black and Raw podcast. I'm your host, Tino Kuda Tondorai Von Zarbaya. Now I'm going to repeat that. Here's a podcast that's going to dialogue and the space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, my guest today is Chinazom, and Chinazom comes onto the podcast today to talk about his new book, Real Talk, which is focusing on mental health. And, you know, we discuss his intentions for Real Talk. We also discuss in terms of why his book might be a little bit different from all the other mental health, self-help books that are out there currently. And, you know, we also discuss a bit about his journey. You know, he recently moved to the United States um, right before COVID and his wife was also pregnant and he had a lot of things going on in that point in time. And we discuss about him taking that leap. We discuss about how he was feeling and, you know, what you can do when you are experiencing a... I guess wanting to change your career path and wanting to say, okay, this is what I want to do. How do I do it? And he took the necessary steps to fulfill that dream. So he's now working as a high performance leadership coach and behavioral science consultant. So he definitely took the leap in changing what he was doing before. And you're going to hear a lot in this episode um, about that and about his life and uh, about being a dad. Um, and about performance coaching. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, bear with me because I am recording from Hawaii. So if there's any vans or cars or choppiness or birds you hear, I mean, birds are okay to be fair. He doesn't love birds, but um, yeah, apologies for any audio issues. If not, then that's fantastic. So anyway, here is my episode with So, Chinazon, welcome to the Black and Raw podcast. It's really good to have you on. Thank you so much, Tina. Yeah, I'm glad to be on here today to have this conversation with you. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. No, so yeah, when I, when I saw what you do in terms of about mental health and coaching and, you know, the book you got called Real Talk, um, yeah. I just thought, yeah, perfectly to have you on the podcast. No, I was saying it to you earlier, I thought the stars aligned because uh, the first talk I did on Real Talk was actually talking about black men's mental health. So when you when it came through, I was like, this is this. Yeah, this is I'm really excited to talk about this and get underneath the underneath the bonnet, as they say. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, so I read a sort of a bit about your bio before, but I really wanted just to find out from you in terms of that. Um, they said that you moved from the UK to the US and that you really wanted sort of a career change in your life. And so I guess just what made you want to pivot your career to do what you're doing now? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I, my career was great. It was giving me financial security, which ran up in the UK where my, you know, my mom, we came over from Nigeria. Financial security was a big thing. Mm. As I'd been doing, I was coming up to 20 years and I was like, there's just a bit, there's a bit more to life uh, that I wanted out of this. And then I had this kind of revelation where I didn't, I didn't have a family then. And I was like, I didn't really like my job. I knew I didn't like my job. And I was like, I don't want to have kids. And say to myself when I look in the mirror, oh, I just went to work because of my kids. So I wanted to put food on because I knew that would be a lie. So I was like, all right, what, what am I really passionate about? What would kind of make me feel like, okay, I'm doing something that I really care about. So I, I stumbled onto performance psychology and I started working with athletes, helping them. And then we did that transition. So while I was in the UK, it was quite tough to get paid <laughs> for the job I was doing. Mm. That convinced me. Let's try over in the US where, you know, there's a bit more opportunity. 
um, and there's more, yeah, there's there's more chances that people will want to pay for the services. So we decided to move over 2019, and yeah, I'm quite glad we made that decision. We now have two kids, so my wife was pregnant at the time. We survived the pandemic, and mm. also while surviving the pandemic, I was able to adapt and change to not just work athletes, but working with you know everyone. So I'm now a high performance leadership coach. Uh, okay. And what does a high performance leadership coach look like? Like what, what is that? If you can tell me. <laughs> um, so while I, I'm going to give an example, while I was in during the pandemic, I was working with leaders in different areas. I was working with people in tech companies. I was working with doctors. I was working with people in banking. So all the different leaders, if you're in a job where you're responsible for delivering as the pandemic happened, all of a sudden, everyone kind of realized you can't perform if your well-being, if your mental fitness is not, you know, not taken care of. Mm. And just to allow people, people had to keep pivoting and changing and adapting because there was remote working, there was all the different uncertainties and having to manage a team. So high performance for me, leadership coaching is kind of showing you what do you need to take care of yourself first so that you can show up and help take care of other people and lead the way you want to lead. Yeah, there's always that phrase, which is like, you can't pour out of an empty cup. Um, And, you know, I think it is really important that people, fix yourself isn't the word, but like get yourself in the best space possible to then pour out into others and then to to just navigate your day, isn't it really? Yeah, I love that phrase, pour, you can't pour out of an empty cup. I have to remember that one because my one is also, you know, like when you're on the plane, and they tell you you have to put your own oxygen mask on first mm-hmm. before you can start helping others. So that's the other one I love in that you can't go and start leading other people if you haven't taken care of yourself first. It's just not gonna, there's nothing for you to pour out. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I like that one as well. Yeah. I'm I'm actually going on a plane on Friday. I'm going to Hawaii. Fortunately. Oh, nice. Um, nice. So I'll be making sure oh. to put my own oxygen. Actually, hopefully I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I listen to that, I'm like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I hope I never, I never have to do it ever. Uh, Hawaii. That's, that's good. That's nice. How long is the flight? Oh, I think we have so many stopovers. I think we go to like Vancouver, then Calgary, then from Calgary to Hawaii. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be a long flight. It's going to be a long flight, but I'm looking forward to it. To be fair, I kind of like flying. Um, maybe not sitting in economy class because I'm quite tall. So my legs don't get much space, but like, I love the whole experience of flying. So, yeah. Okay. I think it's going to be worth it once you get there. So I'm sure you're going to have a great holiday. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, as you said, you you are a performance coach and that you're working with leaders and you're working with men. Um, and I'm sure you work with women as well. Uh, yeah. But I would really like to know maybe what are some of your favorite stories in terms of when working with people and in terms of when coaching people? My favorite stories... I'm going to pull from one during the pandemic where just watching this person having to lead their team um, during the pandemic, where it's like the rule book got ripped up and just thrown out the window. And this person just came up, kept coming up with creative ideas, how to support their team, how to get them to work through it. And it just seemed like there was just something happening again and again and again. And somehow it showed me that when somebody really cares about what they're doing and when they're in the right place, 
stuff that to you looking at the outside you think oh my god how they're doing that um for them when they really can it's like the, the energy is coming from inside they can they can find ways to just keep pushing and keep pushing through that so just watching how that person really supported their team was a was an eye-opener for me but also helping them because then something happened during that process where they were about to get promoted mm. and watching as the wheels started to come off where all of a sudden this person's going for promotion. You think, oh my God, this thing you worked all your life for, then this, they call it imposter syndrome or whatever, started running his ugly head. And it turns out the person was like, oh my God, uh, they felt like they were fraud and they didn't deserve the position. And they also had a what they talk, thought was a disability, which actually explained to me why they had the, I call it their superpower, because it was why they were able to think and see things differently. So what was really, I really loved that period was being able to just kind of hold a mirror to this person and say, see what you've done just mm. the six months I've been working with you. So this is why you're going to get promoted. And watching that person actually go for the interviews and get the promotion was great because it was shocking what the brain can do to you where it can just all of a sudden just show you your flaws mm. and you forget to see all the amazing things that you've done. So that's one that, that one really sticks with me, working with that person to see how they were able to achieve that and also help to show them that <clears throat> this is this is how good you really are. Yeah, definitely. You know, you like it's amazing that sort of they were able to overcome the imposter syndrome and with you supporting them um, and that they realize that actually, you know, I've got this because, you know, everything that you've been saying in terms of that, you know, what they're doing through COVID, coming up with creative solutions, making sure that their team is well supported, like that's an immense thing to do when you don't have a pandemic. <laughs> Never mind then when you're Hello. locked at home and you have to do it through Zooms Hello. and everything. So they are they were probably very well equipped for that job anyway. But yeah. the brain sort of tries and tricks you and makes you think, oh wait, no, you you're not right for this job. Or mm. like you said, the imposter syndrome was coming through. So um that's a great story to be fair. Um, which is really nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's one that definitely still sticks with me and um, always, yeah, always kind of fills me with energy in that, okay, I definitely have to keep doing this coaching thing just because it would be quite sad if this person didn't take up that role, which they'd worked for all their life and which they're the best, they were the best suited person for that role. Yeah. Can you tell me in terms of when it comes to coaching people, um, not necessarily what's the secret sauce, but what approach do you find helps people the most? What helps people the most? I mean, the, the big part for me is in the beginning, making sure that there's trust because it's like, there's, there's no magic trick that I do in coaching. Like the person's going to do all the work, but they have to trust that I'm there to, to get the best for them. And cause we have to go, I call it going below the surface. Cause sometimes people will be saying, they'll be telling you a story but it's like, but that's, that's not the thing that's driving you. That's not the underlying emotion. So they have to be willing to trust me and, and open up. And then in the beginning, I have to set an agreement in that this is going to take, you know, it's going to take work. So you have to be willing to commit to be vulnerable, to be open and to also crack, like whatever we share in the sessions, go out and put it into practice because it's like, it's a new behavior you're trying to learn. So that takes effort. So you have to be willing to practice, fall down, get back up, practice again until the thing becomes muscle memory. And then, yeah, then you start to, it starts to come out in your life. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And how do you build trust with people that you've just met for the first time? You know, that can be sort of quite daunting for people. Um, yeah. I'm sure as a coach, you've probably gotten used to it, but how how do you gain trust? It's actually quite funny because I was talking with the wife of one of somebody who I worked with back in the UK. And she kind of said that it was, I have an aura, which I, I can never put my finger on, but the way I look at it is when I start the coaching session, I always try to see the light inside of that person. So I try to see the person already at that higher place that they want to achieve. And then I just set the intention that I'm here to like, to make sure that you get to that place and you get the best. And that's why I try to hopefully, I never thought it would come across in zoom, but I've had to like loads of coaching sessions where I just met people through a computer and somehow it, yeah, it does come across in that. As long as I set that intention and I show up in the right way in those first meetings, I'm able to kind of build that trust. Yeah, I can I can already see that sort of as we're talking. Um, even before, uh, it was just quite chill, quite a lot of laughs. Um, and I can see how sort of people that you're coaching can easily get that and gain that trust as well. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad you picked that up as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been working on. No, that's good. That's good. Um, I wanted to find out from you as well. So um, we mentioned that, you know, you moved over um, to the US, your wife was pregnant. Um, You're starting this performance um, psychologist as well during the pandemic. So I guess, how was it for you, you know, becoming a dad during the pandemic, now being in a new country and also then trying to figure out this performance psychologist? It was crazy. It was crazy. And uh, now that I've written the book, it was, I was actually writing an article about a letter to my son. Mm. And I remember as I was writing all the stuff I did, I was like, I wouldn't advise my son to do what I did. So I had to like put just a note, don't do all these things. Do- <laughs> it wasn't the smartest thing, but yes. I felt like God, if you believe in God or the universe was kind of pushing me in a certain direction. So I'd already left my job. I was doing this career and then me and my wife were talking about coming to the US, but it was talk at the time. We were we were doing like recce's and going and checking. And then all of a sudden she got pregnant. Mm. That's why I was like, okay, if you don't make a decision now, you're never going to make a decision. So we made the decision, which seemed absolutely crazy that you're going to go to another country where both of us don't have a job and we're, we are six, she was six months pregnant. Yeah, We just had faith that, okay, when we get there, we're going to put all our efforts and we're going to make it work. We didn't know the pandemic was going to come. So my son was born and then the pandemic hit, literally. So we moved June 2019. My son was born October 2019, February 2020, lockdown. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a test of faith. Um, but when I look back, I I don't I wouldn't have done it any other way because I feel like there's a bit where you feel like you're in control, but you're not really in control. So you always have to have that faith and just keep showing up and you know, doing the work. So I'm glad I actually took that chance and came over and had the faith because even if I'd stayed where I knew everything, if I'd stayed in the same place, the pandemic would have still hit. So I'd still have to do the same thing. So it kind of just taught me sometimes it's like, as long as you've done your work, there's, there's still a smart risk that you need to always take to keep pushing um, in the direction that the universe wants you to go in. Yeah. Yeah. And that is quite a, like it is quite a risk, isn't it? Moving to a new country, sort of starting a new family, starting a new job. It can be all quite daunting. Um, but it but I'm glad to sort of hear that 
um, even though you said that you wouldn't <laughs> tell your son to do it that way, um, <laughs> but that you guys were able to. And I'm sure it was quite nice in terms of having that time with your child at home during the pandemic as sort of a newborn that, you know, not many parents get that chance to be at home with their kids that's recently born the whole time. So, you know, COVID, uh, as much as I think everyone sort of was like, oh, I hate COVID. I think everyone made the best of it. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, nice things that sort of came out of it. Yeah. No, I love that you said that because I never like sharing that with everyone because I was like, I didn't wish the pandemic on anyone. And I'm sure there were some horrible things that happened. But definitely for me, getting to spend nearly a year with my son um, at home with him, because I wasn't, the pandemic was there and I wasn't working at the time. That was like a magical experience that, you know, I would have never, I would have never got, if I was working, I'll probably be traveling, trying to do my career. And that's why I realized what dads, dads get cheated on. Like you, you have to spend that time with your kids. I don't care what anyone says. It's like magical, that bonding that you do that mm. first year with your child. I got to spend it. My, I'm now got two. So I got to spend it with my daughter, but it wasn't as much as, as with my son, but yeah. It made me realize how important it was. So that's why I was really made sure I tried to carve out time to take paternity leave to spend with my daughter. Cause you don't, you don't get that, that first eight weeks with your child, you never get it back. And it goes like before, you know, my, my daughter's eight months now before, you know, the time is flying away. So it's an experience I'll always remember during the pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I think dads do, um, I was going to say get shafted a little bit, but I, I, I think there's a there's a prevailing thought in terms of that. Oh, I know I've had discussions in my family when I'm like, oh, dad should get, you know, a good a good amount of time off for paternity leave. You know, there's mm. countries like Sweden where I think dads are able to get a year and it's paid for by the government or don't quote yeah. me on that. But I know it's much longer, longer than what yeah. the US or the UK are doing. Um, and I think it's so important because we stress the importance of, you know, mothers having contact with their children and being with their kids. We should definitely, but men also should be there as well. Having that time bonding with your child, because like you said, you're never going to get it back. And you might think of, I, I don't have children, but you might think of these six, these eight weeks when they're first born, you're like, ah, oh, they won't even remember it. But there's something more tangible. Well, there's something more unintangible, not tangible. I don't know where my words are coming. So we can't quantify basically. Yeah. yeah, Intangible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the first time when, when you do become a parent, you see what I'm talking about, where your your child sleeps on your chest without like skin to skin. And like you hear the wife, my wife was talking about it. And I was like, okay, how, how, how big of a deal can it be? But the first time you do it, you're like, wow. And then the first time when your child is crying and you have to calm them down, you don't know how you calm them down, but when you do, there's a way that the, the baby looks at you and you look at the baby and it's like, that's where I feel like the bond that you can't quite, the intangible bit that you're talking about, I can't quite explain it, but when you go through it, you kind of know that feeling that you get. Yeah. And purely just on a physical, purely on a developmental stage for a child, like it's something that, as we're saying, it's unintangible, but the brain, the, the connections in the brain that are happening, the synapses yeah. that are being built, the feeling of safety and comfort and warm from both of your parents is something yeah. that will influence your child for years to come. You know what I mean? Yeah. I believe, yeah, I thoroughly believe that. Um, and I hope that's the reason why my son is still really close with me. Like every time I pick him up, he runs at me, runs to come and hug me. 
And I feel it's just like that, that, that what you just said, there must be something when he was a baby where he just he associates me with safety and comfort and yeah, security. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, and so you've, you've written the book called Real Talk. Um, yeah. for those that can't see, for those that are not watching, there's a little poster behind you. Um, <laughs> just a little plug. Yeah. There's a little plug. Shameless, shameless. <laughs> and I wanted, there's, there's so many books out there on men's mental health on mental health in general. And, you know, I've interviewed people that have written books about men's mental health. And so I want to know sort of what makes real talk different from all the other books that are out there. Okay. I I can't speak to all the other books, but I'll speak to like what, what my intentions were with this book was so and it's not just for men. I wanted to just start the conversation on mental fitness. Mm. I feel like mental fitness is something that people might not even understand or they don't know what it is. And I felt coming through the pandemic, no one coming through that pandemic will not understand what I mean by taking care of your mental well-being. Yeah, so 100%. as we started to come out, it's like before we went into the pandemic, when I tried to explain to people what mental fitness is or what I do, they, like no one would understand. Come out of the pandemic, and once I say, oh, mental fitness, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought like this is an opportunity where I wanted to also get into coaching in the pandemic. I wanted to share the stories with people that the way we look, take care of our physical fitness this is what we need to start doing to take care of our mental fitness. Because when you lose it, like it's really hard to try and put back together. And I chose men because, and for me at the time, I was like mid forties, two close friends had like mental breakdowns during the pandemic. Mm. And I kept thinking, why is it this keeps happening to men? And over here in the US, there was a high profile DJ on the Ellen DeGeneres show who committed suicide. And then I just kept, it reminded me of something that happened to one of my friends when I was a lot younger. And I just kept feeling like there's a trend here. Why is it that it keeps happening to men? And then I started thinking like, okay, well, what the society place on what it means to be a man? You know, the fact also that men, we can't cry. Uh, we also don't show our emotions. Not only do we not show our emotions, we don't even understand our emotions. Like usually with men, it's like, you just get really angry or you keep quiet. Yeah. And, it's just those two. So I wanted to, I wanted to write a book where I wasn't, I didn't want to start preaching to people and saying, this is what you should do. I just wanted to create stories. Cause I feel like when people read stories, they can, they can see themselves in the different characters. And I wanted to share the story so that people can see themselves and start to think, okay, what, how do I show up in my life in this? And uh, so I talked about, I created four friends who met after the pandemic and they, they're having a drink, they're talking. And then one of the friends had tried to commit suicide. But then as the conversation starts to unfold, it's like, it starts to unfold that all of them were struggling during the pandemic. So it was just showing people like, what does real talk look like? You know, how do you measure your mental fitness and how can you start to do something about it? What would good potentially start to look like? And that's what I was trying to capture through the book in a story format. Yeah, I like the approach actually. Um, because it is sort of quite different to sort of someone telling you this is what you should do and that's what you should do. And mm. this is the best way to do this. But when you have sort of a set, a setting of fictional characters, but also, you know, they're talking about the pandemic, they're talking about something that's just recently happened, which, you know, was stressful for loads of people and probably as you said some people commit committing suicide or wanted to or probably had quite a lot of dark thoughts and so i like sort of taking the setting of the pandemic and 
just a group of lads talking, talking about their experiences because it it also makes it relatable, as you said, um, but it also then makes it sort of easy to access and digest because it's just people talking about what happened and everyone yeah. probably had those conversations at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was trying to, I was trying to get across and I wanted it to be easy to digest. So I was like, I, I really wanted, I had people in mind who I was talking to and I wanted that, that I'd be able to write something that they would actually pick up and read and then be able to like, okay, take away something from it. Mm. Nice, nice. So how do, how, I guess, how do you practice mental fitness actually? Well, that's a good question. So uh, when I was back in the UK, when I was still working in banking, a friend, um, I was kind of going through a tough period at the time and she kind of drew this thing on a napkin for me about, mm. okay, this is your emotional energy tank. Like this is the thing that fills your energy tank. And then this is the thing that takes your energy mm. tank. So she was like, you need to make sure that you're filling your energy tank and you're not, yeah, you're not, the things that are taking it are not draining you. Mm. Always stuck with me ever since like many years ago when she shared that with me. So I started to think, okay, well, what are the things that give me joy? What are the things that fill my energy tank? Um, What are the movement activities that I need to do to feel like, okay, my emotional energy is doing well. And then when I stumbled onto performance psychology, I was like, okay, how do I protect that energy? Because, you know, you switch on the news and you see all the uncertainty and stress and that can, that can drain your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, or you even start, don't forget the commitments that you have, going to work, you know, to helping the family, doing other projects. So I started to think I need to start working out. How can I put boundaries in place? How can I kind of learn to protect that energy so that I always have emotional energy in there? And for me, it's like making sure your energy tank is not drained and that you're not committing to things. And also sometimes being able to monitor, like, cause you ask people sometimes, how are you doing? And they'll just go, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's like, oh, how do you know you're okay? Like, what? Well, how do you tune in to know that? Where's your emotional energy? So that you know how to step away and go and say, okay, I need to put everything down and go and fill up my emotional energy. So that's why it's a constant journey where I use that, that kind of, emotional energy tank to, to keep checking what am I doing to fill it up? How, how much is being taken out of it? And where, are, where am I in my journey? Cause I kind of feel mental fitness is a journey. Like you said, when I did this transition, I went through it and then all of a sudden now I'm a dad again for the second time. And I realized, ah, I have to start relearning things now. So I'm always trying to, that's why I like to have talks. So I have a podcast as well, where I like to, I find talking to people, yeah. Yeah, that's what I like to like see what others are doing and seeing what can I take and adapt for myself and and put into my mental fitness. Yeah, I I like the idea of like that's quite I know I'm not saying it quite often, but that's quite a simple way of um, being able to understand. Okay, what am I putting into my emotional energy box and what is draining it? You know, is you can visualize it in your head already as 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 you're talking. Um, yeah. And so I think being able to identify, okay, these are things that bring me joy. These are things that sort of can drain my energy. Um, I think for me, if I'm thinking about my energy box. Um, I'll definitely say, uh, going for walks, uh, spending time with family, um, spending time with friends, uh, doing photography. There's, there's quite a few things that sort of are able to fill my energy box. Um, mm. 
I can't think of things that drain it currently. I mean, work probably always drains anyway, but um, <laughs> stressful situations, being stressed for no reason definitely does. Um, yeah. But it's a good way to sort of look at, okay, how am I practicing mental f- fitness? How am I keeping myself fit? How am I keeping my brain fit? Because um, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, our body can fail on us, but our brain and our mind is probably the most important part because that runs everything, you know, that, 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 that keeps everything ticking. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with you in the, yeah. When people do the physical fitness, you spend so much time, but you're right. If, if the mind is not working and anything happens to the mind, it's like everything else is just, just goes out the window. So that's why I'm like, I, I've seen what happens when you have mental breakdown and you try and use the system and the health system, and it's just not set up to support you. So I'm like, if you have your mental fitness, then do everything you can to be proactive in, in taking care of it and protecting yourself. Mm, yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I, th- I, that was quite interesting in terms of just, it just sparked up an idea in terms of in my head. Um, when you're talking about the system is not sort of built to, support people that are going through mental health issues. Um, how have you found the UK versus the US system? Because you lived in both now. So in terms of dealing with mental health, how have you found yeah. them? Or are they quite similar, more similar than we think? Um, I haven't experienced the US system as much as the UK yet. Mm. But I know with the UK system, like the NHS was really, really overstretched. That's um, going any better since you left. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad to hear. But it was, yeah, it was it was very overstretched. And I definitely did not, when it came to like dealing with your mental health, the bits that I was exposed to it was, it really actually shocked me of how overstretched it was. And it just kind of made me feel like if you lose your mental fitness, you're literally on your own and you're going to have to like try and find something to sort, sort it your, your, yourself out. <laughs> I mean, over here in the US, the bits that I've been exposed to was like during the pandemic, I did therapy over here and over here, they seem, I don't know whether this is, this, it might have changed in the UK, but I remember when I was in the UK, you didn't say that you were going to do therapy and it wasn't mm-hmm. talked about a lot. Whereas over here, everyone, everyone talks about it. People have two or three therapists, actually. They don't just have one. So yeah. but I think it might be changing in the UK because now when I talk to a lot, they're doing therapy or they're doing it using a coach. So that side it's it's a lot more out in the open talking about it but i don't know what the system is like if you have mental health problems so i can't i can't speak to the u.s system yet yeah when it comes to like therapy and talking about accessing those kind of things it's it's a lot more widespread and there are a lot more options yeah the I, i feel like that's sort of a cultural thing in terms of England versus US in terms of that. I think the Brits are just a, b- a bit more conservative about anything that they do, to be honest with you. Like you probably won't find most conversations uh, would bring up difficult emotions or topics are discussed. Yeah. But I feel like the US just generally are a bit more, is brazen the word, but just a bit more out there. They, they're, yeah. they're okay with, with having some of those difficult discussions. Um, I think as well, like something as simple, like my podcast is bigger in the US than it is in the UK. Um, oh. But I think that's probably more of a, the fact that probably there's more, there are more black people in the US definitely, but I think the yeah. US are more open and used to having conversations of race and class oh, and sure you know, the, the injustices within the systems. Um, so it's quite an interesting 
sort of comparison to view. Mm. Yeah, that that's one thing I noticed. Like talking about race, whole different ball game mm. over there than in the UK. So I'm not surprised that your podcast is a lot a lot more popular here. Because over here, it's more in your face, the racing. You don't try and like switch it up <laughs> or make it sound. It's like it's in your face, whether you like it or not. So you have to like, you have to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I sort of, I think I've had conversations with people before and I was like, I'd probably prefer more. Actually, I, I wouldn't prefer racism altogether, but I'd rather know where the enemy is than where it isn't you know what i mean like at least with trump you know we saw him he's out there he's saying random stuff but here it's sort of the systems and then there's not a face to it always so it's hard Uh, to know where you're battling or who you're battling i call it death by a thousand paper cuts so in the uk you don't even you're right this this the racism is in the systems because it's not in the people like all my friends were from all different races so you don't even, you can't even see it. But for me, it wasn't until I got to my forties, then I started to realize, oh my God, it's in, it's in everywhere I work. It's, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Uh, but you're, it's, it's, it's so behind the scenes that you don't even know it's happening. But you come here to the US, George Floyd thing happened. That thing shocked me to my core. And so here it's like, yeah, where from, you for that? yeah I was there. Just become a dad. Wow. To my core. Um, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. So it's here. It's like, you can't pretend like it's it's in it's right in front of your face. Uh, you got to deal with it. What was that like being a dad? Just being a like yeah, just being a dad. You know, you just had a boy, and you mm. see George Floyd on the TV in in this new country you've moved to. You probably look to your wife like, "Are we sure we don't want to move back?" <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what I said to my wife. I was like, <laughs> Are you sure we didn't make a mistake? Because at first we were thinking Trump, Trump, and we're like, okay, you know, we can deal with Trump. But then when that happened, I was like, what the? No, I was, I was, maybe because it was becoming a dad, it really affected me. So maybe for like two weeks, I was probably depressed. Uh, I was just like, how could, because what really shocked me was it happened in broad daylight. Mm. And I thought, when I looked at uh, George Floyd, I was like, that's, that's the exact reaction I would have done. I'd have tried to comply. And then you get choked out in broad daylight. So, and then what really upset me was at the time we we're walking around with my son and, you know, he looks really, really cute. So people would always want to come in, even in the middle of COVID, COVID was just happening at the time. So I'll never forget one lady was like, so she was, the cuteness was too much. She kept wanting to come and pet it, like not pet it, sorry, coming to come and like, <laughs> uh, and the husband's having to like pull her away. Like what's wrong? Because she was an older lady. Mm. So it just shocked me that, all the same people now who think my son is so cute when he goes up into an, an adult, those are the same people that you know going to probably call the police when they see him running around somewhere. So it was it was a shocking experience. Yeah, definitely shocking. Um, yeah, I think even obviously here watching it from the UK, I think yeah, I think it was the fact that like obviously we've seen killings of black people, but like it was so as you said in the open on video. Like you, if you wanted to, you could watch the whole 11 minutes, which I didn't, but yeah. like, it's, yeah, I, I can't even comprehend it because it was just so brazen. And it was like, damn, like they, they weren't even worried that the cameras were on them. <laughs> like, they weren't even worried. I know that's the shocking thing about it. It's like, they really just didn't care that, that it was brought out in the open. And I don't know whether... This is true, but I just, uh, one thing I said to my wife is like, I cannot imagine that would have happened in the UK. 
Like I cannot imagine that anyone who was standing around wouldn't have got up and gone like to the police. What what the hell are you doing? Like, whereas somehow I felt like in the US, no one no one did anything. Mm. Like no one. I don't know whether I'm being naive, but I can't imagine that like, in the UK, if people walking down the street and they saw the police doing that, they would just carry on walking. Yeah, I don't know whether it's. I don't know whether it's sort of the psyche of living in a gun culture where it's like. Yeah, I could yeah, intervene, yeah. but then he's just going to pull up a pistol on me. So, like, at least probably in England, true, okay, you could taser me, you could hit me with a baton. Yeah. Um, and it probably, because I've seen, I've seen videos of, like, police here, um, like, standing on children and stuff like that. And then you see, like, some people coming in and, like, pull it, pushing the police officer. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever be so brazen to... Um, or a police officer for someone, mainly just because I'm also a social worker, so that probably wouldn't go down too well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it must be, I say must be, but I guess one possible explanation is like, yeah, the police could literally pull a pistol up on me and mm. I would have to back I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I just thought about it. Like over here, the gun culture is like, you, you're not going to go up to police to just start pushing them around because they have a gun. Mm. And if, if the situation's already het up already, Chances are they're going to pull it on you. Yeah, but exactly. UK, tase and a baton, you might take your chances. Yeah. <laughs> push them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're discussing sort of quite a lot of um, emotionally charged topics, but also topics which can definitely lean on your mental health. And so I guess for you and for your family, like how are you guys practicing mental like mental fitness like how are you going to i guess teach your son and teach your daughter about that mm, that's a great great question i mean it's something i always talk about with my wife and i feel like our our kids so if our kids are happy that's a big part of our mental mm-hmm. fitness so spending family time as much as we can as much as always carving, even if we're tired from work or anything, making sure that we plan first, what are we going to do as a family? That one, I have to give credit to my wife as well. She's very on top of that. We have to like do things as a family. And then I feel like by spending that time with our family, that's hopefully we're showing our kids that this is, you know, we're carving out time to show you what gives you joy and showing you what's important. First of all, before you start worrying about work or grades or school or things like that. I feel if we show them what's important and we show them what gives them joy and show them that if you create like a good home and safety, that's the, that's the foundation of of mental fitness. And the other thing is emotions. Like a big part is getting them to know how to understand their emotions, how to talk about it. Like my son now is at a stage where if he doesn't get something, he's always crying and then he gets Mm. really upset. So I'm having to teach him like how to take three breaths and okay, tell me why you're upset. So I'm really trying to focus in this early period to teach him how to understand his, his, his emotions and how to express it. So I feel that's a big part with your mental fitness. You, if you, if you're not able to understand what, what you're feeling and you're not able to express it, then that's, that's, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be tough. And then expressing it is teaching them how to talk, talk to different people, always get, get what's on your mind, get it out. Cause I always find like, if you just have conversations with yourself in your head, that's that's not a good place to be in. So learning like who do, who do you trust around you? And then when you find those people you trust, talking to them and sharing with them. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm, I'm envious of kids now. Actually, no, that's a lie. Um, 
semi-envious because I wouldn't have wanted to grow up in a world of TikTok and Instagram. Um, but I will say that in terms of, you know, having parents like you um, and even, I guess, for, you know, parents that are trying to improve their emotional intelligence, trying to make sure that they're able to pass on the right skills and tools to their children. The fact that when when they do grow up and they're 18, 17 um, or even older than that, then they already have these schools, eh, schools, they already have these skills in their tool belts like they can already. OK, this is how I'm feeling. Why am I feeling this? How do I deal with it? Or is it my situation that's making me feel like this? How do I remove myself? But there's already sort of that um, education in terms of, OK, I know what I need to do and what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do think that's a big thing where having those, those skills, those tools and skills in your toolkit before when you get older, because I feel when you get older, if you don't have that in there, that's when you start having problems because you don't know how to, to, to navigate relationships. You don't know how to understand what it is that you're feeling. Um, it's a big one. Yeah. I never thought about what you just said, TikTok and Instagram, because Social media is going to be a tough one. Um, and that's one I can't even get my head around. <laughs> it's just, um, the other day I was talking to someone who's about to go to university and then they were talking about dating and how, you know, everything is through an app. Like literally you don't go and meet anyone now. Even if you go out, you're communicating through an app with the person when you go out. And it's like, my, my brain is find, finding it hard. <laughs> I'll understand that. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a strange world that we're currently living. Yeah, because I was about to say, I think definitely my last few relationships has been someone I've I've met on uh, an app, um, yeah. and I think young people now probably couldn't even see another way of doing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just think that's normal now. Yeah, now, the one that got me was when you even when you go out to a club, you go out to a club and you're still communicating with people through the app, like. If you're in the same club with the person, okay, yeah, da, 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 and then you you go and meet, and I'm like, why wouldn't you just go and t- go and talk? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, that was a bit crazy. If I'm talking to someone and we're in the same room, I'm I'm gonna all all I'm gonna say is I'm here. Where <laughs> are you? And then I'll find you, and then we can chat. Because you know what, I, I I always think, even though it is helpful having the apps, um, I do think that it is better to just be able to you know, talk to someone, be able to sit across from someone. Like, I feel like I can vibe better with somebody when I'm in person than I can yeah. on text. Like you can see my, my qualities better if we're engaging with a person, but listen, I, I use the apps. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a hater against them because they've helped me yeah. out, but yeah, it, person to person, I, nothing replaces that really. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to start hating as well on apps. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure that they do open up the world. Uh, it's just don't lose that human skill as well. Like, I love what you just said. It's like talking to somebody over now, but when you actually talk to the person and you, you've seen them, there's so much other different things that you're picking up that I hope people don't forget about that um, as, as they start to get older. The other thing that I really feel worried for my kids are is when they go to school, like you do a lot of dumb, stupid things, especially <laughs> when you're at university. And the fact that that gets caught and then put on in, I'm like, that's just not fair. It should not be, you should have like some time to be stupid and, you know, 
and find out about yourself before before it gets put on yeah. social media for all of eternity. <laughs> before you make an apology video of like, yeah. I'm sorry for my past behaviors. <laughs> oh, imagine, honestly, the stupid stuff that I must have gotten up to as a kid. If that was recorded, damn, <laughs> damn, they wouldn't let me be a podcast host. Uh, you'd be doing apology videos. For- <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for everything <laughs> from, from day, yeah. Uh, Definitely. Um, and so I wanted to get back just a little bit in terms of um, about your book and maybe what your intentions are for people um, that read it. Like, what what do you want people to come out of it once they've read it? That's a great question, actually. Um, the first one is I want them to start having real conversations. So I want, and it's not just for guys, which is strange enough, most people who've been buying my book are women, not men. Yeah. <laughs> and the women... To start having that real conversation. And I feel like we started to do that during the pandemic. And I want us to keep keep it going. I want you now to then think, oh, okay, I now understand what mental fitness is. I want you to put mental fitness higher than physical fitness. Because I love what you just said, without your mind, the rest doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I want you to like after the book, try to start becoming a student of mental fitness. Like, what does it mean for you? having other people you talk to take, I have an assessment, take the assessment. You know, if you want to book a call with me, I'm happy to talk with you about it, but I would love to get to a point where there's a mental fitness revolution. Like I feel like in the UK, I, my mom lives in Balham. So I used to be in Balham and there's a park near where she lives where I used to go for a run 10 years, 15 years ago. Nobody used to go for a run on that park. Mm-hmm. But you go there now. I like, you can't find a blade of grass to do exercise. Like everyone's doing, you know, um, circuit training, yoga, PT, everything. So I was like, well, if that can happen for physical fitness, I want that to happen for mental fitness. Yeah. So that's a key take. Those are the two key takeaways, like more real conversation. So when you're there with your friends, like really being vulnerable and sharing other stuff that's going on. And I think when you start being vulnerable, you give permission to your friends to be vulnerable and then, I find when when you're in a trusting group, when people share, it's magic what can happen and what you can actually get out of it. Um, and then the other one is just prioritizing your mental fitness. Yeah. And I guess um, for people listening, um, would you have sort of any three? I know there's never enough tips or you can never distill everything into three tips to do this, but um, are there any sort of things that you want people to hear in terms of how they can start the journey of their mental fitness or even just how to, to, to keep mentally fit? So I'm going to start with the first one that just popped into my head is the conversation that you have with yourself is the most important one. So starting to like, work out how do you talk to yourself so maybe keeping a journal so that you actually see what goes on in your stream of consciousness and just starting to be kinder the way you talk to yourself because a lot of the work I do as a coach I find that people we're not we're not kind to ourselves and if that self-talk is not good like I kind of call it carrot versus the stick a lot of people are like you're not good enough you need to push yourself you know they use the stick to talk themselves which for mm-hmm. me is not good way of motivating yourself um so i feel changing that conversation with the way you talk to yourself and when you do that then when you show up in a group and start to have real talk you can do it from a better position uh, in that the other one is really just trying to define what mental fitness means for you 
So even if you don't do my assessment, just if you read the book, just start to think, okay, what, what does mental fitness mean for me? And where uh, for me, I always feel mental fitness is a journey because you'll never, you'll never crack it. Um, even coming through the transitions, I told you becoming a dad for the first time. Now I'm a dad for the second time. Mm. I'm on a new journey. So now I have to <laughs> new skills as almost like start again. So trying to work out where you are in the journey and what does it mean for you? And then the third one is, Having tr- I call it trusted connections or trusted advisors. So that was the thing that got me through that period was really learning like who are the people I can really lean on, especially when when you're really tough times. The people that are going to show up and tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes or what you need to hear. And the people that will always give you advice that lifts you up. Even if you're feeling really down and crap, it lifts you up in the longer term. So always invest in those people no matter what. And then there's also people who I call trusted advisors now. So like now I'm a high performance coach. I think when I was in the UK, I found like I leaned too much on my friends and it's good to have friends, but sometimes they're, they're people who like therapists or coaches who I call trusted advisors. Those people, you pay them because that's what they do. That's what they do as a living. That's what they invest all their time. So sometimes you need those people to talk to if you want to actually get, get some decent answers to some of the challenges you're having. So have have that trusted connections and trusted advisors around you if you want to stay mentally fit. Yeah, I think those are all sort of very good um, tips. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I know I put you on the spot <laughs> to come up with three. Um, <laughs> it was a good question. <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, I think even just as you were saying in terms of, I think, yeah, we can sometimes rely on our friends too much or sometimes people don't rely on their friends enough because they're going to feel like they're a burden. But yeah. Even if you're then having those feelings of, oh, I'm going to be a burden on my friends, I guess that's where trusted advisors come from because these people are paid to listen to you too. They're not going to take your burden, but they're going to definitely help you think through it. Um, no. And even sort of when you were saying about the carrot and the stick and using positive words and understanding your own self-talk, um, I think is really important. Like I've got this um, journal called Mind Journal. Um, and I'm going to make a video on it soon, but, um, very good journal. Um, and it sort of helps you through the journaling process. Cause that can definitely be sort of a daunting thing to start. Um, yeah. so anyone listening, I'll, I'll put that into the show notes. I'll put it onto so many show notes. So people should start looking and buying, but they ain't paying me for it yet. So maybe when I have an affiliate link one time. Shameless <laughs> plug, but I love it. I'm going to ask you, it's mine, journal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mind journal. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I really like in terms of everything that uh, we've talked about and everything that we've said, um, I wanted just to ask you a final question, which I ask all my guests. Um, and I think this will probably be quite, um, personal for you because you've just had a boy, a black boy in the U S say if there's a young black boy listening to this conversation, or even say if it's your son listening to this conversation, what advice can you give him, um, that can help him with an understanding of themselves? That's a great question. I would, the advice I'd say is to not let what society tells you you should be rule your life. And I would want you to work on finding out what it is that makes you happy and what the universe wants you to do. And then I'd make sure that you make sure you protect your mental fitness because you're not going to be able to, to do those two things without your mental fitness. 
But yeah, for any black boy listening, not just my son, it's like, I think society has already kind of set up a story or a narrative of what, what we are, or what we should be. And I really ask them to kind of find ways to just, just put that all to one side and go and actually find out what makes you happy, what you want to do, what the universe wants you to do and, and follow that. And don't ever let what society does draw you away from any of those things. Brilliant, brilliant. So now, Tinezam, thank you very much um, for coming onto the Black and Real podcast. Um, I've loved this conversation um, and I'm glad we've got to connect. Hopefully we can do it again at some point as well. Yeah, I would love to do this again, Tina. Um, I had so much fun. It was such an enjoyable conversation. I'm going to have to listen to because I felt like you asked me questions I hadn't thought about. And I, <laughs> learned, I learned something new in this one, so I really enjoyed it. No, that's good. To be honest with you, I, I like I like asking questions that people haven't thought about. That I'm going to toot my own horn means of a good host, but <laughs> I agree. I think that's a good because I, I come on this podcast and I'm learning something new, and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. So it's, it's, you're definitely a good host. Oh, thank you very much. So yeah. So, Chinazam, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast and thank you, listener, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to find out more about Chinazam, then I'm going to put all his links into the show notes so you guys can go and check him out. Um, the work he's doing is fantastic and the book he's got is also fantastic. Um, I'm always up for raising more awareness on mental health. So I think that is fantastic and I like the way that he's done it in terms of having fictional characters just making it normal about talking about mental health just chatting with each other because you can then sort of visualize okay how can i do this with my friends how can i do this um with my family you know so i really like that sort of different um sort of experimentation i guess with a book that is wanting to talk about mental health because i haven't read many like that so Chinozam, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast again. Thank you, listener, for listening. If you want to find out more about him, as I already said, it's going to be in the show notes. And yeah, guys, go and check out um, my social media feeds at blackandroll.co.uk on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That will be changing soon. The Black and Roll podcast will still be called the Black and Roll podcast, but. An announcement is coming up very soon, so stay tuned for this, guys. And yeah, peace out. Or aloha and mahalo.